0: Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. Hi, I'm Lindsay Taylor Goodhearts. I teach all sorts of Jewish texts and Jewish history in various places around London, and I particularly enjoy helping people to acquire the skills they need to study Jewish texts independently. Today, I'm going to be giving you a quick introduction to the Mishnah. Let's start with what might seem to be an obvious question. What is the Mishnah? Although it's a simple question, the answer is by no means simple. We could answer that it is a written Hebrew text in six sections on the subject of Jewish law, or halakha, and it's often described as the oral law, Torah Shebe'el Peh, in contrast to the written law, Torah shebichtav the Chumash, or the written Torah. But then we would have to qualify this immediately. First, we are not at all sure that it started off as a written text. Many scholars, traditional and academic alike, think that although it reached its current form around the year 200 CE, it may have been as an oral, memorised text, which might not have been written down for centuries. And in fact, the Talmud tells us that the oral law was not allowed to be written down. Our various earliest complete manuscript of the Mishnah, the Kaufman manuscript now in Budapest, only dates from the 10th to 11th centuries CE. Surely we're on safe grounds with the statement that it's in Hebrew? Well, no. There is quite a bit of Aramaic and a lot of Greek loanwords, like sandal. But most of it is in Hebrew, and the good news for modern Hebrew speakers is that Mishnaic Hebrew is a lot closer to modern Hebrew than it is to the biblical Hebrew of the Tanakh. How about the description of the Mishnah as Jewish law or even the oral law? In a way, both these descriptions are a sort of shorthand. The Mishnah does indeed discuss Jewish law. It's full of practical details of how to build a sukkah, how to write a get, how to run a bet din, when to recite the Shema. But it also records stories about our sages, bits of historical information, midrashic interpretations of biblical verses and stories, a detailed description of the Second Temple, praise for the Torah and moral advice, none of which you would expect to find in a modern law book. It's not even a legal commentary on the Torah. We do have books like that, known as the Halachic Midrashim, which go through the Torah verse by verse and tell you all the laws that are based on each verse. But the Mishnah doesn't do that. So perhaps we could say that the core of the Mishnah is Jewish law, but that it's not limited to it. As for describing the Mishnah as the oral law, even that is not quite as simple as we might think. The Mishnah itself, at the beginning of the tractate Pirke Avot, or Chapters of the Fathers, tells us that Torah was transmitted from Sinai to Moses, who passed it on. Let's read the first part of this text from Chapter 1 of Pirke Avot. Moses received the Torah at Sinai and passed it to Yehoshua, and Yehoshua to the elders, and the elders to the prophets, and the prophets to the men of the great assembly. Traditionally, we've taken this to mean the oral Torah, Torah Shad Be'al Peh. Our sages tell us that this is the information that God revealed to Moshe Rabbeinu on Mount Sinai, or according to some traditions, during the Israelites' wanderings in the desert, which was then handed down orally from teacher to student for centuries just in the way that Pirkei Avot describes, until it was edited, or composed, or arranged, by Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi in about 200 CE, producing what we know as the Mishnah. But again, it's not quite so simple. First of all, we know that Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi worked with earlier arrangements of the oral law. The Mishnah itself tells us that he relied heavily on a collection called the Mishnah of Rabbi Meir, who in turn based his work on the earlier Mishnah of Rabbi Akiva. So though our present Mishnah is not the first edition, it probably is the biggest. And things get even more complicated. Surely, when God was telling Moses essential information on Mount Sinai, what he said didn't include phrases like, these are the words of Rabbi Joshua, but Rabbi Shimon disagrees, or Rabbi Akiva allows this, but the sages forbid it, And that is the sort of phrase that occurs all over the Mishnah. So it looks as though the Mishnah is not precisely identical word for word with the oral law, but is more of a wider project to record lots of traditions about the oral law, not all of which agreed with each other. In fact, this may reflect what was happening in the Jewish world at the time of Rabbi Yehuda HaNasi. According to Sherira Gaon, a leading 10th century scholar in Babylonia, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi started to collect or compose the Mishnah because he feared that many of the traditions about the oral law were being lost or were being memorised incorrectly. If that was the case, it wouldn't be surprising that he tried to record all the available traditions, since by his time there was already quite a lot of uncertainty about which versions were correct. And if we look back to the wider history of that time, we could perhaps suggest another reason for Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi's new project. About 130 years before he lived, in the year 70 CE, the Romans had destroyed the Second Temple and had killed many people, including priests and scholars, causing a huge loss of knowledge and Torah traditions. Roughly 70 years after that, the Bar Kokhba rebellion against the Romans broke out in the year 132 CE, led by Jews who may have believed that God would restore both the temple and Jewish independence at that time, since that was what had happened after the destruction of the first temple by the Babylonians. After roughly 70 years of Jewish exile in Babylon, the Persians had allowed the Jews to rebuild the temple and to return to the land of Israel. But Bar Kokhba's rebellion failed, and the massacres and the destruction of Jewish life and culture were even worse than in the year 70. Fast forward another 70 years and we reach the time of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi and the composition of the Mishnah. Could he have started this huge project because he feared yet another uprising and the inevitable loss of knowledge of the oral Torah? So perhaps another way we can think about the Mishnah is as a huge rescue project designed to save all available information about the Torah Shebe'al Peh, the oral law. Now we've discussed what the Mishnah is and learnt some of its fascinating history, let's move on and discover how it's organised and what it contains. The Mishnah can be imagined as built of five layers. The top layer, of course, is the Intawuk, the Mishnah, with a capital M. The second layer is divided into six orders, or sedarim, and they are called zeraim, Moed, Nashim, Nizikin, Kodashim, Toharot. Each order covers a different general topic. Zeraim, which means seeds, includes the laws of farming in the land of Israel. From bringing first fruits to how to pay your religious taxes, or maaserot. Moed, which means fixed time, covers Shabbat and the festivals. The third Seder, Nashim, which means women, mostly deals with subjects like marriage and divorce, and it's followed by Nizikin, literally damages, which deals with much of what the Western world regards as legal topics, partnerships, lost property, contracts, how to run a legal system, punishments that can be set by courts and so on. Seder number 5 is Kodashim, holy things, which contains the laws of how to run the temple and perform the sacrifices. And we end with Tohorot, a complex collection of laws related to the ritual purity system. And Tohorot itself means pure things. Each of these six Sedarim is divided into tractates, Masechet in Hebrew with the plural Masechtot. These form layer 3 of the Mishnah's structure. There are 63 tot Examples include Brachot, blessings, Ta'anit, public fast, or Shabbat. Their titles loosely represent their subject matter. But watch out. The laws about kings are hidden inside Tractate Sanhedrin, for instance, which is mostly about the court system. Each masechet, or tractate, is divided into prakim, chapters, which gives us the fourth layer of the Mishnah's structure. The tractate kilim, or vessels, is the longest masechet. It has 30 chapters. But there are quite a few masechetot which only have three chapters. For instance, chagiga, festival sacrifice, and bikurim, first fruits. And forming our last, fifth layer of the Mishnah, each perik or chapter is divided into individual paragraphs, each of which is rather confusingly called a Mishnah, with the plural Mishnayot. To avoid confusion, it helps to write a capital M for the Mishnah as a whole and to use a lowercase m if you're writing about an individual paragraph Mishnah. The context should help too. If someone is talking about the fifth Mishnah in chapter 3 of Tractate Sukkah, They're obviously referring to the lowest paragraph level, not to the entire Mishnah. A chapter usually has between 5 and 15 Mishnayot. This structure may seem complicated, but the huge bonus here is that both Talmuds are organised into the same set of tractates, so once you've sorted out how the Mishnah works, you'll know how the Talmud works too. Moving on from the structure and organisation of the Mishnah, let's turn to the question of which Masechet to start with. Not all the tractates or Masechetot are equally well known or equally easy to study. One reason is that the Talmuds, which are basically long wandering commentaries on the Mishnah, don't cover all the Masechetot. Instead of Tohorot, for example, they only cover Masechet Nidah, which has the laws for the family purity system. The Babylonian Talmud, Talmud Bavli, doesn't cover the agricultural tractates in said Ezra'im, although the Jerusalem Talmud, the Talmud Yerushalmi, does cover them. So people who study Talmud tend to know the Masakhtot that are covered in the Talmud, but they are often unfamiliar with the other tractates. Another reason for the variation in fame and ease of study of different tractates has to do with subject matter it's much easier to learn about something of which we already have some knowledge, or which has some practical application. So tractates such as Sukkah, which is unsurprisingly about how to build a Sukkah, or Shabbat, which covers the laws of Shabbat, are very popular. Obscure subjects, like the purity or impurity of fruit stalks discussed in Masechet Uqtsin, the very last tractate in Tohorot, aren't quite so attractive. I would suggest that you don't start with an enormous masachid. Choose something you have a reasonable chance of finishing. A word of warning, don't start with tractate Pirke Avot. It is most unlike the rest of the Mishnah, and because it deals with ethical and moral issues, it has a sort of open-endedness that means you could study it forever and never get on to the next masachid. Study it as a separate project by all means in parallel to your Mishnah project, or save it as the cherry on the cake, when you've got through the rest of the Mishnah. For much the same reason, don't start with tractate Eduyot. It too is very unlike the rest of the Mishnah. The orders of Kodeshim and Tohorot are notoriously difficult, as are some of the tot of Zraim. It's a good idea to start with a shorter tractate that deals with something that is basically familiar, such as tractate Rosh Hashanah in Sefer Mo'ed, which discusses shofar blowing and the Amida of Rosh Hashanah and also the laws of Rosh Chodesh, or New Moon. The tractates Brachot, which is about prayer and blessings, and Sukkah are also very good places to start. And I'd also recommend Chagiga, festival sacrifice, Megillah, about Purim, Bikurim, first fruits, and Ta'anit, public fast, which are all quite short. Later on, after you've developed some Mishnah learning skills, you might try Baba Matziah, Middlegate, Sota, the woman suspected of adultery, or Avodazara, idolatry. Ask people's advice if you can. Don't worry if it's hard at first. It varies tremendously from person to person depending on your skills, interests and talents. The bottom line is that you learn to learn Mishnah by learning Mishnah. The first masachid goes slowly and it's difficult. The second's a bit easier and so on. Until by the fifth or sixth you are beginning to get the hang of it. Remembering technical terms, making connections to Massachot you've learned earlier, getting better at decoding the patterns in the Mishnah. Learning Mishnah opens up a huge world of Jewish history, law and thought. There has always been a stream of Jewish educationalists who called for Mishnah rather than Talmud study to be the basis of a Jewish education, especially in the Sephardi world. But there are scholars who recommend this even today, like Rabbi Chaim Brovender of Midrash at Lindenbaum. In the 16th century, Yosef Karo, the author of the Shulchan Aruch law code, wrote an account of how he received mystical communications from a spiritual guide who identified itself as the Mishnah. Mystics used to study Mishnah as a devotional practice, rather like reciting a mantra, and groups were formed for this purpose. And we still study Mishnah for the illumination of the souls of beloved relatives, not Talmud, you note. We'll end up with some thoughts about resources to help with Mishnah study. The first and most obvious of these is commentaries, whether classic ones or modern works. Some of our greatest scholars wrote commentaries on the Mishnah, so if you use these, you will get two great works of Torah for the price of one. Rambam, Maimonides, wrote a commentary in Arabic, which has been translated into English by Eliyahu Tuja. This is available on the Chabad website. It's also been translated into modern Hebrew by Rabbi Kabach. Three parts of Rambam's commentary are often studied as separate works in their own right. His introduction to the entire Mishnah, which gives a historical overview of the development of the Mishnah. His introduction to Masechet Pirkei Avot, which is known as the Shmona Prakim, or the Eight Chapters. And his introduction to the Eleventh Chapter of Masechet Sanhedrin, which includes his famous Thirteen Principles. Two other classical commentaries are first, that of Avadia of Bartanura, a 15th-century Italian rabbi, and second, the Tosavot Yomtov, a very long commentary written by Yomtov Lipman heller who lived in Prague in the 17th century. The most useful commentary for beginners, however, is the one written by Pinchas Kahati, who died in 1976. He wasn't actually a rabbi. He worked as a bank teller in Jerusalem and wrote the commentary largely in his spare time. He wrote it together with Rabbi Tzvi Yehuda, whose role is now largely forgotten. It was written in modern Hebrew, and it has been translated into English. You can buy individual Masachot, or a complete set, and there is now even an app with the Hebrew and English. Another basic resource is a good Hebrew dictionary. It's important to look up key words, even if you're basically studying Mishnah in English. And another good tip is to look up the rabbis and sages mentioned, and find out who they were, and when they lived. Rabbi Eddin Steinsaltz's Talmud Reference Guide is great for this and has useful information about weights and measures in the Mishnah, as well as maps. If possible, use more than one translation and more than one commentary. And of course, if you know any people who could help, don't forget they can be the best resource of all. Lastly, make a great Siyom party when you finish a Maseret and invite lots of people to celebrate. Good luck. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who we'll all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjofa.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag Torah.